0: why I do what I do, why I live where I live, why I share my life with the one I do. My desk had become a frightening foreign place, and unlike similar moments earlier in life when the old strategies didn't work anymore, either for the pragmatic business of daily living, those problems that everybody faces, or for the specialized problems of writing, and I had energetically resolved on a course of renewal I came to believe that I just could not make myself over yet again. Far from feeling capable of remaking myself, I felt myself coming undone. I'm talking about a breakdown. Although there's no need to delve into particulars here, I will tell you that in the spring of 1987, at the height of a ten-year period of creativity, What was to have been minor surgery turned into a prolonged physical ordeal that led to an extreme depression that carried me right to the edge of emotional and mental dissolution. It was in the period of post-crack-up meditation, with a clarity attending the remission of an illness, that I began, quite involuntarily, to focus virtually all my waking attention on worlds from which I had lived at a distance for decades remembering where I had started out from and how it had all begun. If you lose something, you say, OK, let's retrace the steps. I came in the house, took off my coat, went into the kitchen, etc., etc. In order to recover what I had lost, I had to go back to the moment of origin. I found no one moment of origin, but a series of moments, a history of multiple origins. And that's what I have written here in the effort to repossess life. I hadn't ever mapped out my life like this, but rather, as I've said, had looked only for what could be transformed. Here, so as to fall back into my former life, to retrieve my vitality, to transform myself into myself, I began rendering experience untransformed. Perhaps it wasn't even myself I wanted to be turned into— but the boy I had been when I went off to college, the boy surrounded on the playground by his neighborhood compatriots, back down to ground zero. After the crack-up comes the grateful rush into ordinary life, and that was my life at its most ordinary. I suppose I wanted to return to the point when the launch was the launch of a more ordinary Roth and at the same time to re-engage those formative encounters, to reclaim the earliest struggles, to get back to that high-spirited moment when the manic side of my imagination took off and I became my own writer. Back to the original well, not for the material, but for the launch, the relaunch, out of fuel, back to tank up on the magic blood. Like you, Zuckerman who are reborn in the counter-life through your English wife, like your brother Henry, who seeks rebirth in Israel with his West Bank fundamentalists, just as both of you in the same book miraculously managed to be revived from death, I, too, was ripe for another chance. If, while writing, I couldn't see exactly what I was up to, I do now. This manuscript embodies my counter-life the antidote and answer to all those fictions that culminated in the fiction of you. If in one way the counter-life can be read as fiction about structure, then this is the bare bones, the structure of a life without the fiction. As a matter of fact, the two longish works of fiction about you, written over a decade, were probably what made me sick of fictionalizing myself further. Worn out with coaxing into existence a being whose experience was comparable to my own, and yet registered a more powerful valence, a life more highly charged and energized, more entertaining than my own, which happens to have been largely spent, quite unentertainingly, alone in a room with a typewriter. I was depleted by the rules I'd set myself, by having to imagine things not quite as they had happened to me, or things that never happened to me, or things that couldn't possibly have happened to me, happening to an agent, a projection of mine, to a kind of me. If this manuscript conveys anything, it's my exhaustion with masks, disguises, distortions, and lies.